Next Chapter Podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome back to How I Got Greenlit, a weekly podcast about pursuing your passions both in the creative arts and beyond. TM, all rights reserved. I'm Alex Legion. This is Ryan Gibson. So Jamie Petrikoff, better known for... Wildflower, The Accountant, Captain Fantastic, Half Nelson, Blue Valentine, and my personal favorite, The Place Beyond the Pines. Yeah, it's a good one. And he did, uh, I think he's done some 30 for 30 stuff out there in the, for the uh, Every Sports Possible Network. Yeah, in his in his early years. And I think, you know, you'll see that he, it's a classic tale and not uncommon tale of someone who works in unscripted documentary, sort of gets their tools sharpened and, and some of their sensibilities. I think a lot of his stuff he said was sort of uh, inspired or informed by true stories and things that you know kind of where he started so yeah smart guy interesting guy another great one a very interesting and you know i love the guy's work i mean he does good films and it's 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 rare to see like a straight genre movie a good genre movie but an unapologetic red meat genre movie like the accountant and while having like a more drama based you know quality uh, not quality what's the word i'm looking for um quantity <laughs> uh no like you know going for an oscar like more prestige let's call it right let's just say um, during this conversation folks he is going to say everything and anything about ryan gosling you could ever want to hear so if you it's almost a wall-to-wall ryan gosling-a-thon and if you are into that ryan gosling thong a they thon. make that? A thong. Oh, oh. Yeah. So uh, buckle up for all the dirt. <laughs> no dirt. No, but no. a lot of cool stories. Yes, that's true. He, They're best you know, He discovered them. Yeah. Well, I don't <laughs> see now. <laughs> well, that's well, I'm just that's about going this the conversation RSS, right here. RSS <laughs> that's right. So much tram, dirt on uh, Ryan Gosling and also nude shots. So please check the uh, Instagram and Twitter for all of the postings yes. on all the stats on Ryan Gosling and his junk. Right. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us at How I Got Greenlit on Instagram and Twitter. And come visit us at the home base, howigotgreenlit.com. For all your How I Got Greenlit uses and issues, complaints, comments, uh, general um, letters to the editor, what did Stanley used to call it? Uh, Excelsior, I well, forget. It, the, it d- depends on which. The letters paid. Yeah, that. What, what? Okay, so for for those out there, what was the Spider Man letter page called? You know, was it like Web Words or something? Anyway, yeah, that's what it was. Like, it was wet words. I don't know. <laughs> without further ado. Anyway, without further ado, enjoy. Jamie Petrikoff, this is how I got greenlit.
Hi, welcome back to How I Got Greenlit. Uh, I'm Alex Gleegian, your host, and Ryan Gibson is my co-host. Hi, everybody. We're here today with uh, Jamie Patrikoff, a movie and TV producer and the maker of, you know, I would say modern classics like Captain Fantastic, The Accountant, Big Eyes, Place Beyond the Pines, Blue Valentine, Half Nelson, and many, many others. And he also uh, would like to discuss his new film that's coming out on March 17th called Wildflower. Welcome, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie, for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. So uh, we also just, I, I think we're trying to complete the Christie, uh, the Trinity, because we, we had Tony Jaswinski and we had Ollie. So now we, we're, we're, we're looking for Bob Weinstein, but so is the FBI. <laughs> That's very funny. Do you know Ollie Blackburn, Jamie? Well, well, yeah, he produced yeah. his movie. He produced oh, Christy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. He's I that guy's. He great. was a hoot. He's a he's a character. Yeah. So you seem to uh, do it all, which is um, even in our modern sort of uh, industry where the lines are a bit more um, semi permeable. Let's say you seem to do anything and everything from uh, documentary to scripted film, to scripted TV, to scripted uh, to documentary shows. Um, is there, is there a, and I know a lot of your scripted stuff is based e uh, either on real stories or documentaries. Is, is documentary sort of the secret? Is that the DNA? Is sort of the real, the real into the sort of fictional? Yeah, it's, um, it's it's uh, it's great that you identified that. I mean, that's something. I, I think when I started out my career, I actually started uh, in documentary television, really, and um, and I think that I uh, took this approach of that I really wanted to do things that interested me and and that I was excited about, and I didn't. Maybe because I started pretty young, I didn't. I was naive enough to not understand that the way you were supposed to do things was really more, uh, you know, more focused. And, you know, if you sort of stay in to some extent your lanes, I mean, I think the lanes have blurred a lot more and say that even the last, you know, five years or a couple of years. Oh yeah. But, um, I, um, I always took the approach of, uh, if I was passionate about something, I was going to try and figure out a way to do it. And that led me first into the documentary space, then into the feature film space. And then, you know, the TV space, the scripted television space really, again, started out, uh, I, I, you know, I was working with Derek C. in France who did Blue Valentine and Place Beyond the Pines. And he had a book that he liked and it didn't, it, it seemed really tricky to do it as a movie. This is almost 10 years ago. And I think to, I think for some people you would have said, okay, well, all right, then we're not going to do it. And we sort of looked at each other. And I was like, all right, why don't we just try and figure out how to make it a television show? Um, which sounds sort of very casual and flippant, but at the same time, I think we took, just took the approach of the, the ultimate, you know, uh, uh, way the content got out to people was sort of less important than trying to figure out what the, best way to uh, tell a story was. And I think that's really what what the defining factor is 
you know, in how we develop and how I've always developed is, okay, we have a story. What's the, what's the best version of it? Is it a movie? Is it a limited series? Is it an ongoing series? Is it a documentary? Uh, is it a documentary series? And then, okay, how do we, how do we actually then execute that? And you might say, listen, I don't see there's a, there's, there's no real way to execute the ongoing series version of this. It has to be a limited or, or vice versa. And then you sort of say, okay, well, can you still accomplish the best version of that in a different format? Because it's going to be, there's a better roadmap to getting to the finish line. Um, so that's sort of the approach I took. I've always kept my company really lean because of it, because it allows me to kind of bob and weave and go in different places and not be focused on, okay, how do we just get the best, you know, where's our most profitable opportunities within one vertical, which I think is easier to create a more, you know, financially lucrative company. You know, um, I think that's one of the challenges. If you want to, if you want to take, the resources of the company and put it towards a ESPN 30 for 30, which may not be the most lucrative use of time, but it is the most exciting thing for a piece of material, then you have to build a company that supports that. Because a lot of companies, you know, you just keep growing and growing uh, and that ultimately, you know, can benefit you, but at the same time, it can hamstring you where all of a sudden you're like, okay, we can't, dedicated resources to this because our overhead doesn't support, uh, you know, this business model. Yeah. It's it's outside of our purview. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's the, that's the, the up and down, right. Is you get, you have uh, great, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, You can bob and weave very quickly, but on the other hand, maybe, I don't know though, you've kind of done both. I mean, you've made a, uh, as, as uh, Steve Jobs said, you've made a, a dent in your universe a bit uh, in the in the film world and the TV world. And by the way, with dramas, you want to talk about a hard like to stick that. You know, it's like a degree of another degree of difficulty is not only like hopping, let's say either genre or media, but also to uh, stick in that. Tr- it's like the safe play would be like, oh, I found this great documentary, and you're like, put her in the mob. You know, like. <laughs> You're not you're not falling back on genre uh, to to cover you know to 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 play it safe actually. I like you know I like all genres of film. I think I've I um, but you know I've been I've been squarely in the dramatic world for the most part, um, and that's um, I think ultimately that's where my passion winds up lying and really authentic stories. And, you know, we've tried it a couple of times to put that lens onto more, you know, uh, you know, the accountant's a great example of, you know, a film that really is just got a great characters and great, yeah, it's a great, great characters, great story. Um, and, uh, and the same thing with place beyond the pines in another, in another way, you know, that is, a you know, a, a, you know, a crime story and a family story, but the core kind of family drama. You know, Jamie, with your, uh, all the things that you've accomplished and are continue to work on today, you know, usually with the show, we try to start off with where it all started for you as, as a young person. Yeah. Did you always know? No, I mean, I grew up in New York city. Um, my 
you know, father was in the financial world. My mother was in the nonprofit world. Um, I didn't really have a direct film connection, but, you know, I um, loved going, uh, I, I love movies always as a kid. And I think there was something about, uh, you know, I, I love the entertainment, the world of entertainment per se. Um, I, but I really loved everything. I mean, I, you know, I love music. I love film. Um, I, I am obsessed with theater today. I don't actually, if I asked my, 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 my father, he, he probably used to have to drag me to the theater when I was like in, you know, 10 years old, but, um, it's an acquired taste. I think yes. when you say theater, I mean, are you saying drama? Are you saying musical or both? Drama, dr- drama primarily, but but you know, musicals as well. But um, um, I'm not going to pretend like I had a love for the theater even at, at a young age. But you know, music, film, uh, radio. Um, I mean, everything. I mean, I loved. I just loved media. I loved entertainment. I loved sports. I mean, entertainment. Yeah, and I mean, I'd say in some ways, as a you know, a, I was a stereotypical you know kid in some ways loving sports really more at my core but i you know i loved i loved going to the movies from a really young age i that was one of my favorite things to do uh and you know as i got older I, sports definitely stayed as sort of the thing i was my primary passion you know playing sports and i was planning to play college basketball but it did wound up not happening but um but at the same time my summers were spent after eighth grade my first when i was in eighth grade i worked for a radio station called wfan which in a, in a yeah, sports radio show called yeah, yeah. i worked for mm-hmm. mike and the mad dog um and i interned oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah were you, dude. Were, were you deep were you gonna go d1 were you gonna play d1 uh basketball basketball no i was i was not fit for a, a d1 center position that you know a, a 6-3 guy uh, with limited uh, jumping ability um, but i was you know i was all, i was i was all city new york and i was you know i was wow. a pretty, pretty good basketball player yeah um That's but awesome. um yeah but so I, uh, I I worked for this radio station in the summer of eighth grade. It's I, not it's know, not just this radio station. It's literally one of the biggest sports radio. That's an yes. awesome. Was was that an intern? Was it was an, an internship. internship. I you know had a you know my I was lucky. My father had some good relationships, and so he got me. You know I was this you know I don't know you know, I was a third fourteen year old kid showing up at five thirty in the morning to go intern for this. These two guys, Mike and you know Chris Russo and Mike Francesa, who are the two of the biggest sports personalities, and I just loved it. I used to, and I and uh, the show taped at Kaufman Astoria Studios, which was in Queens. Um, now a little uh, sensitive topic, but uh, the Cosby Show also filmed there. So I used to, I used to get myself lost every time, like during the day and sort of like wind up on like the Cosby show set in some way or like to, and I just was obsessed with it. I just thought it was so cool. And, uh, I, so I loved that. And then cut to ninth grade. I worked at a, I interned at a, at a film company. Um, uh, at that time, my, so my first real film relationship was that my, my uncle, my mother's brother married, uh, Jane Rosenthal, who is Robert De Niro's partner at Tribeca. So that, that happened around, uh, high school. So then I had like my first real, you know, connection into the, the film business. And so she gave me an internship working at Tribeca, um, Very which was, cool. yeah, which was just awesome. Um, I got, uh, I might have my summer slightly off, but I, I got to, they were shooting 
um, and one of those summers they were shooting uh, Marvin's Room, which was Leonardo DiCaprio, one of his Leonardo DiCaprio's first, one of his first films. And I got to meet Leo at that time, and I uh, got to see it. I um, um, and uh, so I, you know, I just really started working early, um, and it was a really um, I just loved it, and I did that. I worked at a record label, um, and then when I was got into tenth grade, I wound up getting an opportunity to. I loved hip hop. Hip hop was really became one of my real passions um, along with movies. But, you know, that started when I was growing up. And when I got into high school, there was a something called a new music seminar, which was a very important music conference every summer in New York. And we had a friend in publishing and I asked him to get me a pass. And he said, sure. He got me a pass, which was a photographer's pass. So I said, great. I said, uh, I'll go take pictures. So I took my dad's camera and I went to this conference and I started taking photos and I loved it. I had the best time. So when I was in high school, actually, one of my first, my first real paying job was I was a photographer for a rap magazine. Um, and I used to go on weekends to like the Apollo and the Ritz and all these places and take pictures of people from Nas to De La Soul, the Tribe Called Quest to Jay-Z to Biggie to all of the kind of greats of the golden oh, that age era, yeah and yeah that was that was when I, I mean that's just the like that's where my love of of rap comes from yes that time yeah. period. my like, son my been, son loves that era that's cool you could <laughs> have cool found son. a better time you could yeah. have found a better time to be to and especially in new york and funny enough a through line through our show seems to be new york in the wouldn't you say in the Dinkins nineties, I I waited in the cold outside of tower records for three hours to get the, the, the tribe album, the, the, uh, the, that tribe album, the, their last great one. Yeah. Yeah. No, not low end. Uh, night. What is it? Midnight Marauders. But, um, yeah, and when Tony and I were in, uh, you know, NYU, that was that, that That's era. Funny. we, we yeah. were, uh, roommates. We were, we were college roommates. So, yeah. So, um, but you know, I, um, you know, jump ahead a bit. I, you know, so I did, you know, I, I worked in hip hop. I worked in, um, I, you know, interned at different places in college. I kind of continued a bit on the music side, writing some reviews for, I went to college at Emory in Atlanta. I wrote some reviews for a, a local newspaper. that was kind of like the village voice or LA weekly called creative loafing. Um, and then when I, um, got out of college. Um, I actually worked for Def Jam for a year. That was my first job. Uh, I wow. had a, I had gotten introduced to Russell Simmons at that point and he had uh, offered me a job at Def Jam and I was planning to go work actually in an agency out of college. That was my, that was a very focused. I came to LA, I did interviews and I was all set to go work in an agency. Before you get ahead, was Emory, was it a film program? Was it a media program? What, no. was it, what were you studying? Um, you know, it didn't, the film program didn't really exist at Emory at that time. And I, um, I don't want to take anything away from film programs because I think I, I, I bummed. I didn't take classes more. I didn't have an opportunity to take classes that were film classes at school. I do think, I think for everything in life, it's really critical to have a well-rounded education. I think if you can, um, if you're, if you have the luxury or the ability to go to some form of liberal arts school and, and that you can take classes. And I mean, I took an intro to opera class and I took urban, I was a political science major 
I took urban studies classes. Uh, I took, and I think that in anything you do in life, I think the more well-rounded you are, the more helpful it is. I think it helps me every day as a producer, uh, having interests that lie outside and not, and a knowledge base outside just, you know, producing and making movies and, and storytelling. Or self-referential to the films that you've seen, right? That's the problem now is that we're starting this uh, kind of media eating itself where our filmmakers are only, their only reference point is other films, right? They didn't like work as a, you know, a ship captain and, you know, the, the, the strange backgrounds of, you know, our, our, our early silent directors in the early golden age, those, those people were adults and like fully formed and then they kind of came to Hollywood and, and it was a different sensibility. And I, I'm as guilty as anything. Went to NYU film, you know, obs- obsessed with film. I will I will write dialogue and then catch myself later like, okay, you ripped that off from this and you stole that from this. And it's just it, you can't help but uh, quote, you know, uh, your, your, your inspirations. So when you're in Atlanta, are you that, that kid that's um, – going to these hip hop clubs, try, like discovering, like continuing your quest, you know, call it tribe, call it quest, quest. Yeah. To some extent. I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I, um, I mean, we had some, I mean, Atlanta was sort of the heart of music of another, you know, the Southern music and, you know, the heart of outcast and, um, you know, outcast was kind of really coming up around the same time I was at college. So that was really the birth of Atlanta hip hop. And so, yeah, we, I mean, we definitely got to participate in that. Um, I didn't, I think from a professional standpoint, I mean, I did, I, I, I was the editor of my school newspaper. I never really planned journalism, but I was, you know, I, um, I, I, I was the editor. And so I took that a bit to college and again, wrote for this thing called creative loafing. And I did some sports reporting. I did some, I wrote for the, the Emory newspaper a bit and I wound up doing music reviews, um, which to this day, I still have not really found. Um, but I keep meaning to go back to the creative loafing archives from the nineties to see if I can find some of my very, that'll be your uh, podcast. I yeah, like the title. Exactly. Um, so, uh, t- so you walk in a room and there's Russell Simmons. Like, what? What's your first when you meet somebody who's so influential? Like, what is your first impression? Is this guy just like crackling with intelligence? Is he like? Does his do his eyes like pierce? Like, what? You know what I mean? Like, what makes him him? I mean, he he was such a larger than life character. Um, you know, I think um, there's what he's. You know, he was talent in his own right, in the sense of you know, just a. You know, I think a really extraordinary, um, uh, just sort of um, you know, character really, um, and yeah. somebody who had seen it all and been around it all, and um, and you know, I think. That's why, you know, all the artists, I think, ultimately, you know, gravitated towards him. And um, so charisma. uh, Exactly. So I so I took that. So anyway, so in college, you know, again, I I think it's great if someone's a majors in film and goes to a film program. I think it's just it's critical that they um, go outside the box as well and try interesting things you know, additional classes. And, and I, I'm jealous that I, it's the only time you have the ability to really, you know, <laughs> watch movies. Around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, but just, you know, yeah. watch movies as a, and, and as for a class, I mean, that's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I'm so, you know, the idea today, I wish I could go, 
you know, just take part of my day and have to watch a movie every day and then think about it and talk about it. And to some extent I could, I mean, that would be valuable time, but. Well, here, here we are, here we are. You're getting one credit. You will just remember to call me later. I'll send your credit point over for your okay, transcript. You. <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, that, by the way, that's why we're doing this is because that's what we do with our friends is bullshit about movies, either, you know, complaining about stuff we're working on or, uh, mostly just like like that. Oh, guys, do you remember Outsiders? I haven't watched this since I was like a kid. And you know what I mean? What I love about about that is, um, you know, I did see so many movies as I, when I was young. You, It was almost just like, a, a, you know, a vacuum cleaner. And now, you know, with more perspective and having made stuff and seeing, you know, having a new respect for how challenging it all is, you get to rewatch it and sort of dissected it from, that's what's amazing, right? Like I always use Heat as an example. You watch Heat when you're a, a young man and you're like, kick ass fight scenes, bro. And you kind of skip over the drama stuff. And now as an adult, I'm like, look at that poignant uh, moment when Pacino's, you know, marriage is starting to dissolve. Oh yeah. There's a fight scene. Like it's yeah. kind of amazing, you know, especially with, as you said, you like to blend um, real drama or effective human drama with genre. I think that's a good example of that. Yeah. Look, Jamie's a fascinating guy. Obviously, he's got his original, uh, unique way in, as they all do. And kind of the the point of that is the archive, right, Ryan? Our 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 archive. the archive. The how I, I got, got greenlight dot com. You took the words right out of my mouth. Sorry. How I got dot com. That is where you can compare and contrast these interviews. They're all unique. Learn. Something. There's common touch points, but. The way in, I don't think we've heard the same story twice. Story's always different. But that's why we try for like the very loose structure of just asking like, how'd you, how'd you get into it? How'd you do it? How do you keep doing it? Do you want to keep doing it? Real talk with real variety. Just right off the top of my head, um, Nadine. Nadine Crocker. Ryan got us an amazing guest. Actress, writer, director Nadine Crocker, multi-talented. I mean, leave it to an actor to, when we ask her the question, "Give us your greenlit moment," she really sets the scene. So this is where she talks about realizing she was living out her dreams. Uh, enjoy a clip with director, filmmaker Nadine Crocker. My husband says this all the time. He knew it was real, and it was really cool. And he had met some of my crew and some of these people I was choosing to be my department heads. But when he walked in for our pre-production meeting, and I have like a crew of like a hundred people sitting around me at that table, at that giant production or like table, and everyone's sitting there and they're you know giving questions, and I'm giving you know and explaining things, going back and forth. He was like, not only a did I see you for the first time, not as my wife, but as a real effing director. He's like, but B, the way that they listen to you, the way that they respect you, the way that you guys dissected things, the way that everyone was there and showing up and always stayed showing up for me, you know, like literally, I think if it wasn't for the crew's love for me, half of them would have been like, see ya, you know? Yeah, like, everybody loved you. Shoot. Yeah, and, everybody, and I don't mean that you, like, oh, no, yeah, everybody but like, you. but oh, I do, God. I think, here we go. They, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think they knew that I would not, ne- I would not, ne- I would do anything that I asked them to do, I would do it too. So you're at Def Jam. 
Uh, are you also touching film uh, uh, at all, TV, early video stuff, or not really? No, I mean, I was Def Jam was a really outlier. I mean, I just it was such an interesting opportunity that I um, you know didn't wind up going the agency route, which um, I think I'm very happy with where I am today, professionally and personally. So I don't think I can ever say I made a a, a, a bad a choice. Turn. Yeah. 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 Um, How did you know um, to go to the agencies when you're at Emory College? Like that's well, the way. Again, I had you know I, I so I had my aunt who was you know De Niro's partner. So she again okay. at that point she's she you know, said try dad, this, do this, gave you some pointers. Okay. Yeah, and my dad, my dad did have a couple of friends who uh, one very prominent uh, filmmaker uh, Robert Benton who was a friend of his. Um, so wow. I got you know so I got to you know I, I saw so a couple of people who. Um, at that point, we're kind of, you know, I could ask a question to. And so Jane my, Rosenthal really made introductions at the agencies and got me into sort yeah. of, you know, the, yeah, the yeah. right places. The mailroom. And at that point, my um, my older brother um, had actually, he actually had a really interesting career. He actually went to USC film school. For, he went to Emory and then went to USC film school for uh, a couple for a year, a year didn't complete it and then he actually worked at CAA uh, for uh, about a year or two in their theater department it started as it was a part of their theater department when it actually just um, um, started um, so it, it, it really was the it actually he really was there for the creation of the theater department he left pretty shortly after that so didn't have a long CA run so again by that time now I had a couple more people who were in the business pointing me in the right direction and um, and I was um, about to go take that road and then I got this opportunity at Def Jam and said okay I love hip-hop I, you know, I'm like head of the company's offering me a job. I'm going to take it. I wound up working in street marketing for a bit, uh, which was really <laughs> unusual. I went on uh, 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 the road with a gangster rapper named J.O. Felony, um, who <laughs> very people would, very few people would know, um, and was literally traveling around on a on a van, posting fly, posters and handing out CDs and and doing real guerrilla marketing. Uh, it was really the, I mean, Def Jam and the hip hop business really started, you know, what we call today kind of guerrilla marketing or out of the uh, trunk. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, selling, selling albums out of a trunk. Um, and, um, and then, um, but that didn't really, there was this whole vision of starting this new division at Def Jam that related to, um, taking the street marketing team from Def Jam and using it for fortune 500 companies. And it just wound up not amounting to anything. So, a year later, I leave, and in trying to figure out what I'm going to do next, I actually had a friend and who had worked at Tribeca uh, when I was there, who I stayed in touch with, who was working at a company called Radical Media. <laughs> Is there a Radical Media? Yeah, show him your Radical Media tattoo, Ryan. Yeah, no. <laughs> did, you Derek, did you meet Derek Sanfrance there at Radical? Yeah, so... Um, in New York? Was it the Radical New York office? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I think one of the things, and I talk to college students, you know, every couple of times a year, I mean, you know, making sure, especially in our business and in any business, you continue to build your network is always one of the most important things. And you, you, yep. you know, you make sure you, you leave a room with another, you know, my dad always said, when you go to a conference, as long as you walk away sort of with one business card of one relationship, it was, it was worth it. You know, whenever you go to, 
a new place or a new job or a dinner or whatever, you always want to be, you know, you know, trying to figure out people that are like-minded and that you can, you have keep relationships with and have, you know, people, you know, um, that you can continue to talk to. And so one person I had stayed in touch with, um, was this woman, uh, her name was Jane Long at the time and she was working at Radical and I went to go meet with her and in passing, I sort of said, Oh, I said, Oh, I have this, I have this crazy idea for a TV show that um, was for lack of a better description. It was kind of like queer eye for the straight guy, but for hipsters at the time. Um, and this is a long time ago. Uh, you know, we're talking 2000 and, um, and she was like, Oh, that's interesting. She said, we're, you know, we're trying to build out our TV division. Would you want to, you know, would you be up for us optioning that and developing it? And I was like, okay, <laughs> I was like, that sounds, that sounds like a cool idea. Uh, like I don't have a job right now, so why not? And um, so we ended up developing this TV show together and it, uh, it was called Urban Kitchen. Um, I was actually on air talent for it as well, um, as was my girlfriend. And at we the have time. a clip. No, no. Let's go to the yes, clip. Exactly. <laughs> By the way, I actually do have a clip, which is, which is very funny. No clip. Um, yeah. Um, and we wound up, uh, uh, you know, so Radical Media got behind it, um, you know, show you networks. My friend Andrew Freed, who's now the head of Boardwalk Pictures, was yeah, on the an, an show Emory, with me. An Emory guy. An Emory, an Emory guy. Well. We, we yeah. know Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. So Andrew, um, Andrew was on on air talent as well. Uh, and, uh, we, Oh no, I have to see this tape. <laughs> yeah, no, doesn't exist online. And, um, we wound up, uh, having one offer, which was from the food network, which I was at, you know, as a 23 year old living in New York city, thinking I was very cool. I was like, I can't sell my show to the food network. I was like, this is, that's not cool. Um, which was really silly. Um, and we wound up selling it to a company in the UK called um, Carlton. And uh, we wound up developing it more with them. It didn't go anywhere. But what that led to was uh, Radical Media got an opportunity to pitch ESPN on uh, TV shows when ESPN made a decision to go from live news and sports to actually have original content, which sounds crazy today. But in in 2000, ESPN only had talk and live sports. And so we wound up pitching ESPN and the one show ESPN wanted to buy was a show that I created. And so Radical Media said, okay, great. We can go, let's go make the show. And so I was 24 years old. Radical Media had never produced a TV show. I had no idea what I was doing. And ESPN for some I think ESPN to some extent didn't really know what they were doing either. It was a, a new venture for them. And we went out and made this show, which was called The Life, which was a documentary series on athletes off the field, which at the time was, was you know, to some extent uh, really groundbreaking. What's your name? You've heard the name. Now meet the man. Make that teenager. Get ready for the new king of basketball, LeBron James. I mean, there was no, there were very few documentary series at the time. There was, I think Big Brother was on, The Real World was on, Cribs might have been on. But going and being with athletes, you know, while they weren't playing the game um, was was really not seen. You know, you didn't know how athletes trained. You didn't know how, what, how athletes lived. You didn't know what they did in the off season. I mean, now it's, you know, called Instagram. Um, 
But um, so we wound up doing that show and we did 32 episodes and it was a wild success. And um, we did everybody from Shaq to Derek Jeter to A-Rod to LeBron to, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, and while I was there, um, that's when I met Derek C in France and, uh, we did not become buddies instantly. Um, he was sort of this like, you know, guy, he had like long hair and wore like an army jacket and sort of like, sort of when I saw him, I sort of like looked down and make sure I had to make eye contact because I think I was somewhat scared of him. Um, but, um, we became, um, but we were working at the same place and taking it back to hip hop after doing that ESPN show, we wound up pitching uh, VH1 on a, a hip hop related kind of show that was um, different, but also a documentary series, which was called The Breaks. And it was about how hip hop artists got their breaks. And the first episode was actually on uh, Ludacris, ironically, back to Emory, back to Atlanta. <laughs> and uh, we did that, which didn't, uh, they didn't sort of pick up a series. And then we actually did one on Run DMC, bringing it back to Russell Simmons. Um, and uh, we did that episode. It actually wound up, we wound up filming it. And right before we were about to finish editing it, Jam Master J uh, died. And so we wound up repositioning it kind of more as a tribute to Jam Master J and, and Run DMC. Um, and so I sort of was a little bit down the documentary TV path. I had an agent named Chris Colwin who worked for UTA. Um, I know Chris Colin. I, I almost signed with Chris Colin. Yeah. Yeah. When he was an agent. Before, yeah. Exactly. Years ago. I remember he had an earring. I'm like, I've never seen an agent with an earring before. There you go. Um, and, um, and uh, I went down the documentary series, documentary world at that point started being like um, much bigger. Um, but I, at the same time, I sort of said, I never meant to be in this sort of, real world documentary um, world. And I wound up, I was looking at working on, I think Jesse James, like monster garage. And I was out in LA meeting and I was like, how did I wind? I wanted to be in the movie business. How did I wind up in like Laguna? Ryan, have you heard this story before Ryan? Have you heard this story before Ryan? Jamie, I've been saying that my whole life. That's exactly but I, my line. My line was, I didn't come out here. You know, I, I didn't go to a reality school. I went to film school. Like it, right. and yeah. it's, it's almost like golden handcuffs. You probably had the same problem that, you know, Colin was like, Hey man, we can set up this show and that show you got heat. And you're like, but look at this script. I want to option. Ah, yeah. Give me more of that documentary stuff, man. We're making money. Right. I mean, that was the thing is you had to, you had to consciously pull back from the success of this thing that happened and, and make the decision to start doing more scripted, more what you really want to do. Right. Yeah. Cause this business exactly. will pigeonhole you. The whole apparatus is like, Oh, bring him in. He does the docs about the guys. Let's yeah. get him in here. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And that's, and so uh, yeah, what was that? What was that moment? You, 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 so you're on the set of the, of uh, Jesse James monster garage and you go, how did I get here? <laughs> it was really, you know, it was, it was, it was interesting. I mean, this comes back to a little bit um, just of how I've been able to, you know, sort of do such a variety of content. You know, I had, I was definitely in a place where I was, there weren't really people who were seasoned documentary reality TV producers at that time. So I was, you know, I had the, I had great agents and great show opportunities and had, I had another show that people were wanted to make and, 
I was just like, I don't want to do this. I was like, I, I don't, I'm not interested in this, in this world. I met a bunch of people who were all really nice, but I looked at, you know, the, I went into this office of this one company that was sort of one of the most prominent companies and we were going, I was going to meet them and then they were taking me to, to like the Laker game to like sit courtside or something. And I walked into the office and they had this really big offices and they had posters all over the wall of all their shows. And they had, you know, a row of probably 20 edit bays and kind of interior offices that sort of looked a little bit like prison cells. And I went and met with the the founders and, I you know went to the game and I just was like I the last thing I want to do is wind up with this. <laughs> so I just sort of came back and um I knew I had to get into the film world and I had some friends who were working on a a film and they were it's like a $200,000 film called Point and Shoot and they needed so they needed like another $25,000 and I was like hey guys I was like I want to work on a movie and I'll find you $25,000 and can I come produce this movie with you? And it was, uh, um, and that wound up being sort of a moment, like a key moment for me to be like, I, I need to get into the film world. And it was also, the movie was a, it was, it was a narrative film, but shot as a documentary. So mm-hmm. I had, um, I had some knowledge, but at the same it's time, there was a no. unique experience. Yeah. I, I knew. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I actually had worked the the D uh, the DP uh, that we hired was Robert Leacock, who um, who was relatively famous DP, but came out of the radical universe again. A relationship I had there, who had, was a you know a, a verite filmmaker, and um, oh, it that's was a key, that's a key word there, radical verite. Yes, exactly. Um, so it was with a great group of guys, and uh, sadly the um, director has passed away recently. Um, as a young guy um, who um, named Sean Regudo, and we made a film, and it was um, I'm really proud of the film. It never really got seen per se. I mean, it went actually went to the Trebekah Film Festival because it was in its <laughs> Trebekah Film Festival again. Back to my connections and relationships, it was in its uh, infancy. It was in like I think the first or second year of Trebekah Film Festival, so we got lucky. Uh, they took the film uh, and. Um, the uh you know it was it was a really great interesting group of people in it evan mossback rap was in the film who's uh in the bear now um Mm -hmm. has been acting forever and um and that was really the introduction and then through that uh that led me to to make my move to los angeles because i was sort of like i don't want to move to la and be a producer you know a film producer who's never produced anything um so we moved to la Yeah. yeah Yeah. So we moved to LA and um, got, you know, more introductions to people. And, and, uh, and one of the first introductions I got, again, I met a guy in at Tribeca named Brandon Brito. And he said, you have to meet my friend who's an agent, this guy named Craig Castell. And at that point, this guy was you know a junior agent and we met and I don't think he really wanted to meet me. And I was sort of like, this guy's got some, you know, dungeon office that with no windows. I mean, he can't be very important. And we met, it was pretty, um, short and, um, on the way out, um, he, um, said, Oh, read this script when you get a chance. And I took the script. I left, I went home, I read the script and in about two hours, um, which, you know, today, today takes me a little bit more. And, um, and that script was half Nelson. 
and I read the script. I called them back and said, oh my God, I love this. Um, and what would it do? He said, well, the filmmakers are in town. Do you want to meet them? Um, and I met them the next day and I said, let's do this. They had, there was an $800,000 film at the time. And they, um, I was like, okay, they had $400,000. They said, do we need $400,000? I said, great. I'll find $400,000. I don't know where I'll find it from, but I'll find $400,000. And there's no cast at the time. And I was just like, I love this story. The story speaks to me. I think you guys are great. Let's figure it out. And so we started working together. Um, we got into the casting process together, made our way to Ryan Gosling, uh, who was not particularly known at the time. He had done The Notebook um, and he had done The Believer, but The Believer really had, wasn't seen really at that time even and didn't really make that much noise. And Mickey Mouse and, Club. He had, he had and some- Mickey Mouse Club. And he had... Um, he also did uh, Young Hercules in Canada. Um, but, that's right. Uh, yeah, that's he was, right. He was, and he was very good in that. I mean, that's funny to see these guys like uh, somebody was talking about. Uh, was it um, DiCaprio was was on a sitcom? I mean, it's funny to see that footage and they're like, oh, this, that kid has something, you know. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, you described the the offices of the a prominent reality company, and and you know, Ryan and I met because we both had deals at uh, Fremantle Media back in that same era, and I made the same uh, observation. It was like we were, you know, they had made a bunch of deals with reality producers, and it, it was almost like we were in little like horse pens. You know, like lined up against next to each other. So I totally know. Last, what uh, nice, nice views. I mean, beautiful, you know, Santa Monica real estate. But also I was like, is this it? Is it, you know, get in, right. get in your pen, you know, bring us, yeah. bring us ideas. We're selling shows here, you know. So, so I would, I mean, unless you tell me different, that sounds like a pretty clear green light moment to me is, uh, you know, you had, you had this direction, you weren't entirely sure about it. Uh, you knew that there was something better for you, but you had to make some critical choices and even some sacrifices to maybe give up paydays, give up the prominence of being like a, a you know, a, a, a rising star in documentary reality programming and found something that called to you and you didn't quite know how to do it. You didn't know how to raise $400,000, which is still a lot of money today. Uh, and you had to figure it out, but you just knew like, I'm doing this now. I'm going to give up that other thing. And and this is my calling. Is that, would that be accurate? Yeah, completely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to go, you know, full steam ahead with 110% focus. And again, it wasn't, you know, again, naively or, or, or not, I didn't, it didn't even cross my mind. Like, Oh no, I'm a documentary producer. I just sort of was like, okay, this is what I want to be doing and I'm going to do it. And I was you know, I was working, um, I was by myself. I was an individual. I had no company. I didn't have a, you know, so it was sort of like I right. just sort of was, uh, so I was able to go, you know, um, fully into that. And, um, mm-hmm. and I had no idea what was really the roadmap was going to be, you know, sort of like we were just going to go make this movie. And if we were lucky, it was going to get into Sundance. And that was sort of the plan. And, um, and I I didn't, I always talk about, I didn't know even what was supposed to happen after that really. It wasn't, I think, you know, again, that's the beauty of 
you know, first time films and, and, and festivals is sort of, you know, you, um, you're, that's your dream. Like the dream isn't, Oh, I'm going to then have it be released theatrically and do well at the box office and win awards. Your dream is to get your movie to Sundance. And that's why I still think Sundance and festivals overall, just an extraordinary place because it's so wonderful to see people who still have that dream. Um, and refreshing. Um, so a lot different than it used to be. It's kind of, it's, it's changed a bit. I mean, it's still there, but it's changed. It is. And it isn't. Um, I think, you know, I was even, I mean, I've been going to Sundance since, you know, half Nelson premiered in 2006 or, you know, so sort of a six, 17 years. Um, and, you know, you go to a Q and a and your filmmaker comes up. I mean, they, it's like, uh, it, to some extent, it's like we were when we had, you know, half Nelson there 17 years ago. It's just like the you can't believe you're at a Sundance Film Festival. I mean, there's obviously a lot of other factors today. And but for those first time filmmakers, um, it's an extraordinary experience. I, I think what I'm, I think what what I what I'm trying to say is that, yes, for the first time filmmakers getting in is uh in, in that experience i think still exists but i think the the i think the mark that you have to hit uh with certain films nowadays on certain film festivals has become a lot harder it's been the barrier to, of entry i think is harder to get in to get in yeah yeah yeah, yeah i think um yeah i mean I, I feel think, free I to think... disagree i i <laughs> that's, it's okay to have discourse well like anything it evolved you know it evolved and, and the film business evolved and the, you know, yeah, I think, but um, I mean, you got into Toronto just on wildflower, right? I mean, you got into yeah. TIFF, you know, yeah. so like, so like take us through that, your last film festival, like sort of experience and your first, like how was that radically different? You know, you know, listen, I can't, I'm not going to pretend like I remember the, the submission process on <laughs> half Nelson, but no, no, but, just being yes. there, just being there, just like soaking it in and, the and experience. Like, yeah, just walk yeah, it well, in. The, listen, well, well, let me, let me take it back from the, the, um, the submission process It is. I mean, I'm submitting, I submit a film today to Toronto or to Cannes or to Sundance. It is no different than when I submitted it to, you know, 20 years ago, you know, I, it, you know, yes, it's different in the sense that I now know the heads of those festivals. But at the end of the day, uh, and I fully believe this, films get into festivals on their merit, not on their relationships with people. I think they're, they're, now there are films, I, I learned, I don't even want to say the hard way, but programming a film festival is, um, is very hard, right? You're, yeah. You can't, it's not, it's, not, it's not just the best films. It's the best films that fill a certain category that people are trying to fill that tell an entire story. So, you know, there may be 10 films that are, uh, uh, you know, like, um, you know, After Sun, for example, right, which is a very makes sense as like a, you know, a film festival kind of film this year. Um, but no, even if they're the best 10 films, you don't want 10 films that are that telling the exact same story. So, uh, you know, even if you know the head of the festival and the programmers, everything it's does, is the film, does it have merit to be in here? And does it make sense based on the other films that we're accepting? So, um, you know, listen, the festival experience, 
obviously it's it's you know every time you do it it's you know um you know it's something you've done before so it's there's something about it that's um you know not as um fresh and new and i my film wildflower that we talked about i was working with some producers who had never had produced a film before and hadn't been to a festival before and a first time filmmaker and it was awesome to be with them i mean to be with them for their first experience when everything was new and and fresh that was really exciting thanks so much for listening to how i got greenlit i'm ryan gibson along with alex collegian this has been this has been jamie petrikov and his amazing life and times <laughs> life and times no it was a good talk thank you for doing that jamie uh well you're welcome back anytime love to um see your next well wait we're gonna see him next week creation part two next week that's right where we talk about one of our favorites great great b-side call the outsiders directed by francis ford coppola and starring everyone you ever heard of it's great if you want watch it now get get caught up and then we'll we'll, we'll tear it up together no that's a good idea Part two next week with our conversation with Jamie Petrikoff and the movie The Outsiders. In fact, I think it's on Max. Maybe we should be telling the kids like where to check it out. Give a little shout out. Oh, I agree. Uh, I saw it on Max. Uh, if you go new, to Amazon, you can rent Max. it. Put in uh, put in ad code H I G G twenty percent and twenty and then the percent sign and get twenty percent off your rental purchase on Amazon.com and you know the show gets a little bit of that. None of that happens. No one will set it up. No one can make it happen. We have no idea. We're dumb dumbs. <laughs> and folks, remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on How I Got Greenland on Instagram and Twitter. And please Where? check out on Instagram and Twitter. Where? On Instagram and How Twitter. I got How I Got Greenlit.com. How I Got Greenlit.com. And that's where the vault is. You can see everything everything there you can email um, us you see nothing you can see a text list that lets you listen to everything that's right <laughs> send all your questions comments complaints <laughs> guest recommendations secret confessions to how i got greenland gmail.com <laughs> anyway watch it listen like subscribe like subscribe like like subscribe, <laughs> like subscribe stars stars anyway stars, thanks for stars, listening stars, part two stars. of jamie patrickoff uh and uh his film his influential film the outsiders come come back can't can't do one without the other thanks for listening next chapter podcasts